Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, happy August. Welcome back to We Met at Acme. I just want to take the time to thank everyone who came to our shows, our live shows in DC, Boston, and New York City. It meant the world to me. And I had so much fun with you in person. I also wanted to remind you that camp is coming up August 25th to 27th. And if you have a guy friend, you know, everyone has, even if you're in a relationship, your boyfriend or husband has like at least two single guy friends. So tell them about camp. It's going to be so much fun. It's at this beautiful camp and the location is amazing. It's right on a lake. You could do literally whatever you want. You make your own schedule. We have all these activities. There's themed nights. There's a band. There's a DJ. There's pickleball. There's tennis. You don't want to miss camp. It's going to be epic. Today's episode is long. It's definitely my longest one that I think I've ever done, but I wanted to kind of cover everything when it comes to fertility, when it comes to going off the pill, PCOS, all the things and kind of my journey and then close the chapter and get back to dating and the fun stuff. So that's what today is. I also want to take the time to thank every single person who has reached out and with an insanely, incredibly sweet message or have told me their own story. Anything like that has meant the world to me. And just your support is everything. And it it really means a lot. I also want to say that this episode is very unique and that Dr. Fisher, who is amazing, my favorite person ever, she doesn't do interviews. She doesn't do podcasts. She is very busy in her office making babies and making miracles happen. And so I just am so grateful that she took the time to do this today. And she is such a wealth of knowledge that you don't want to miss one second of anything that she says. So strap in and I hope you enjoy it and you get something out of it. We are very honest about all the things and I can't wait to hear your thoughts. Hey guys, welcome back to Women at Acme. I'm so excited to be here with my favorite doctor in the universe, Dr. Katha Fisher from Spring Fertility. Hi. Hi, it's so good to see you. It's so good to be with you. Before we get started, like tell us about you because not, I mean, not everyone is as 
lucky as I am to know these things. What do you but, want to know? I mean, you know I'm a city kid, right? I know you're a city kid. So you grew up in New York City. I grew up in New York City. I know you're like 26. Ugh, if only it's the Botox. Um, <laughs> no, I grew up in the city. I went to residency at Yale and I went to fellowship at Columbia. And then I worked for a little bit before going to Spring Fertility to start as a medical director. I love what I do. I'm super lucky. I have two kids. I have a great husband. I have a pretty great life. And I'm so happy to be here. And we're so happy to have you. And I know that there's a few people listening to this podcast who actually have you as their doctor. Because when I posted that you were coming on the podcast, so many people were like, oh my oh, God, no. she's mine too. <laughs> That's so I love cute. her. And I want to talk a little bit about Spring and kind of how you ended up there. Because if I remember you telling me, you started elsewhere. I did. There are different kind of fellowships for fertility. And there actually aren't that many in the country, which is interesting. There are 30 of them or like 32 of them right now. So it's pretty hard to get in. But I really wanted to be in New York City. So I went to Columbia, which is a terrific program, really academic. We really focused there on like menopause, pediatric stuff, even though I knew that I really wanted to focus on infertility, LGBTQA issues. And at that time, a lot of like huge research was coming out of this one program. So to me, it was always kind of like Disney World. And my initial job was at that center. And I loved my job there because I loved the patients. I loved the medicine. I love like the hustle and bustle. It's a super busy practice. What was lacking for me was like the patient-doc relationship. Mm. It was really set up where every day was kind of the same. I didn't see my patients all the time. Even though I knew them really well, they didn't know that I knew them. And it was not that fulfilling for me. But I could have been there very happily for years and years and years. But at some point, you just think, is this really like enough for me? Mm -hmm. I talk about this a lot with people that are interested in like, like who they should be and where they should work. It's like, well, what's important to you? So I decided that I want to leave that position. And kind of simultaneously, a friend of mine was working at Spring in California. And she spoke to me and said, I think you'd be really great. They're opening a center in New York. Do you want to open a center? And I was like, I don't know. That seems like a lot of work, but also really amazing to build something from the ground up. Think about like all the details and like hire the team and make sure that like it really felt like what I thought was missing in New York City, which is a clinic that has amazing outcomes, but also really like amazing, amazing patient care and like yeah. excellence there. And I had many, many, many friends, like I'm sure you did too, who had infertility. And what I was hearing over and over again was this idea that like they did great, their outcomes were great, but their experience wasn't so hot. And to me, I said, just suck it up. I was like, in New Yorker, like, suck it up, you're fine, right? Yeah. It'll be okay. But this concept that we could do it a little bit differently was really intriguing. So I kind of jumped ship, which felt crazy to me. And we opened Spring Fertility about two years ago. And for me, it's been tremendous because I get to honestly see my patients get to know them. And obviously you're like a celebrity, but I hope that all. everyone's experience is really similar, right? Yeah. I know them. I care about them. I know how like what's going on in their lives, going on in their pregnancies or like their journey. And that's been really important to me. It's a lot of, honestly, it's like much harder work than before, mm -hmm. but it's like meaningful and I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And my experience has been, there is no place that has given me the experience that spring has. And there's no doctor that has given me the experience no. that you have. Yeah. My husband's also. I love your husband. So he's, in, he's in love. I love you. Um, <laughs> but backing up a little. So I recently like, you know, announced that I'm pregnant, yeah, which is congratulations. crazy. Yeah. And I guess I kind of like buried the lead there, which yeah. is the end of this story. But we, you know, in announcing mentioned that, you know, we couldn't have done it without you. Mm -hmm. And 
part of the reason just to kind of elaborate on that because I didn't when we announced it is because we started out. So we had had, I talked a little bit about this in the last episode where I discussed my journey, but basically we had like started trying to get pregnant a month after our wedding. So that's March, 2022. And I hadn't gotten my period. And I was told by everyone who I had met with at the time, like, oh, this is so normal. You know, I didn't get my period for a year or even people saying like, don't go off birth control before your wedding because like that's too risky. And Oh, interesting. Okay. And I listened to them because I was like, oh, well, I don't want to like, you know, have random symptoms before my wedding. And, And then I never got my period and I thought it wasn't normal. Again, I was hearing from like, my doctors that it was, but I knew something was a little off. And at that point I was referred to a larger clinic where we went and still didn't really get answers, but we're just like immediately put on a path. Yeah. And the path was to start with a trigger shot. So can you explain in, in yeah. your knowledge? Cause yeah, I mean, just to back up like one step further, because what you're speaking to is really common and people don't really understand this. When people talk about fertility, it's not about like the number of eggs you have or even as to how old you are. Like, yes, that's a huge factor, but that's not like, that doesn't cause infertility just being 42. Fertility is to you get a regular period. Right. That's it. Like that's, your body has to have an opportunity. And so an egg has to be released in a way that's predictable. It doesn't have to be like 28 days every single time, but there has to be some sort of like cadence to it. And if you remember the first question I asked you is why do you not have periods? Right. And you're like, I don't know. I'm like, what? What? Yeah. Like, what do you mean? Because that's not like normal, right? Right. And so you don't have skin in the game to no. even get pregnant. Exactly. So it's it's not fair. And I think a lot of people, especially when we're younger, younger women, when you have irregular cycles, they're not necessarily worked up, which is maybe okay if they've said, like, I don't really care, just treat it, manage it. But most of us don't have like consent in that process. You start birth control pills, you have now regular cycles. No one understands why. And we can mm-hmm. talk about that. And then you don't go off the pill before you get married. So you don't know that right. you have regular periods. And it sets up this whole really like challenging cascade. So what the initial team did for you was essentially say, hey, we think maybe you make a follicle. Maybe you can't predict when it's happening. We will trigger its release. And that works if you can figure out when it's happening, right? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't always work at all and doesn't work if you can't figure it out. Right. Right. And also just for like some background on my fertility and what I knew about it going in, I had gotten a, like an initial, I, I don't know if it was an AMH or just an ultrasound. Like yeah, I think it was an AMH. A few yeah. years ago when I was still on birth control Yeah, and they were like, you have the normal amount of eggs. So, and this, this is like the biggest misconception because I was like, oh, great. Like I, (laughs) I really genuinely thought that I was like the girl who gets pregnant on like her wedding night. Like not actually, because I wasn't trying then because I didn't want to have a Scorpio, which is. Oh my God, not this again. Guys, I can't even talk about this. Yeah. (laughs) But like, I genuinely thought, and I don't know why it was like delusion. Like I. I just thought like I had like, you know, I'm curvy and I'm this and I have big hips and that means I'm going to have a baby. Like, and I have all these eggs and, you know, these like crazy things that I thought. And so, yeah, it was just like, it was a huge confusing realization when it didn't just work right away. And then, so I'm doing these trigger shots with this larger clinic and 
every time I'm going in, like they know things that they aren't necessarily sharing with me because their objective is do the trigger shot, get the girl pregnant, move on to the next patient. Yeah. And so we had done that three times. And then I think, so So then we had the discussion because we had had some genetic testing. Yeah. There were things that, you know, we weren't thrilled about. At this point, I still don't know that I have PCOS. Right. You don't have a, like a cause. No diagnosis. cause. Like I'm yeah. just like, oh, I don't have my period, but like I'll get pregnant. Like we'll figure yeah. it out. Still not even getting a, like only getting the, only getting a period after we've triggered right. an ovulation. So like a fake manufactured period at right. this point. Right. And Stephen and I have a really serious discussion and we're like, we want to explore IVF. We could have done these trigger shots like, you know, three more times, like mm-hmm. six times total. I'm glad we didn't obviously looking back. Yeah. And we were like, let's see, you know, we had both heard of spring and that's another thing. And for people listening, like yeah. people don't know that there are places like spring, like people think it's the clinic or nothing. Yeah. And that's so upsetting. So we had known about spring because I had done an event with you yeah. and he knew about it because he, his old coworker, yeah. like yeah. It was weird. Yeah. yeah. Lots of Random connections. connections. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, you know, I, I want to go talk to this doctor. Like, yeah. you know, I loved her and we'll see, we'll see what happens. Yeah. And at this point we're still going with the made, the bigger clinic for IVF. Yeah. We're yeah. just like, let's talk. No, we're having a conversation. Yeah. Totally. I remember vividly. Like, let's yeah. talk. We go in and immediately you were just like cutting yeah. the bullshit. Like yeah. you were like, something's wrong. Like, yeah. Like it's weird that yeah. you don't have your period. Like, mm-hmm. let's just take a look. Like, yeah. let's take a peek. Right. We go in and we take the quickest peek of all time. Mm-hmm. And immediately you're like, wait, you have PCOS. You have textbook yeah. PCOS. And you were like flabbergasted. Because actually sure. when I said, why don't you get your periods? So you really don't know. I said, well, the most common cause is PCOS. And you said, I definitely don't have PCOS because I have a gynecologist. I have an REI. I know I don't. He's like, okay, you're probably right, right? And so the, there are really two sides of the coin of irregular periods. It's usually like too many follicles or eggs or too few. And I was thinking you would know one or the other. Right. And then we did the scan. Your face was like, I was like, no, this is textbook. And you're like, no. And we knew each other, but didn't really know each other. And right. I was like, how am I going to convince her yeah. that like, I'm not full of shit. She used PCOS. Right. Remember I Googled it? And uh-huh. I was like, here's a Google image. And the image looked um, exactly like, like you, my ultrasound. This is you on PCOS. And it yeah. was, so for people who don't know about PCOS, tell us about it. But the the pictures that we're describing, some like PCOS is different and there's in so many people. Yeah, I feel but, so proud that you know these things. Yes, yes. I, I like just from Googling and from <laughs> I love it, yeah. The, the PCOS picture that I had is called a string of pearls. Yeah which is like when you have tiny little, fo- a bunch of, lot of tiny little follicles around your ovaries. Yeah, yeah. So an ovary, they, they're just big spheres. And in PCOS, what happens is the cells in the middle are making the hormones. And so as they're making more and more hormones, because PCOS is usually a syndrome of excess androgens or like testosterone hormones, just like when you like bicep curls and your bicep gets big, the inside of the ovary gets big and it's going to push those follicles that are usually evenly distributed to the periphery. And so sometimes, not all the time, you get this stringer pearls and you really had that classic, like I could take a board exam and like circle your ovary. Right. And so I knew in that moment you had PCOS because it's a really easy diagnosis to meet the criteria for it, which is why it's so common. The prevalence of PCOS is about six to 10% of the female population. So it's a lot of people have it. 
And it's really, you need two out of three things. And so in our history, I knew you had irregular periods. So that's one of the criteria. Mm-hmm. The second are ovaries that have this appearance. And it's not just that it's a string of pearls, but you have a lot of follicles or a lot of immature eggs. And by definition, it's more than 12 per ovary. There's some debate about like, is that high enough? Should it be 25? Right now it's more than 12. So for a total of 24, but there's a spectrum here. And then the third criteria is really like either physical signs of hormonal excess. So like acne that maybe is cyclical or hair growth, like disproportionate to maybe like your friends on like your upper lip, your chin, your neck, your back, or blood tests that show actually these are elevated. So you already had the diagnosis within like 30 seconds of meeting me. And you did before too. And that's a piece that I think is to your point about the clinics you went to a great clinic, right? And they and, knew. And they, they knew, and I the respect the doctor. Yeah. And they put it, and once I got your records, I was like, it's it's right here. They just didn't tell you. And I said, admittedly, it's because sometimes we, I know it sounds crazy, we forget. We forget that patients don't understand what we do. And if you're not paying close attention, you don't always clue them in. And I think that has been a challenge in fertility for sure, because for a very, very long time, I was like, I'm just going to treat the problem. You don't treat the whole person. And for a lot of women, they want to know this stuff. You want to know what this might mean for you, for your future, for your pregnancy. And I think that also was a reminder for me, honestly, is like, hang on a second. Have I checked in with myself, with my patients? Am I doing a good job? Because right. I respect that person so much. And it's mm-hmm. like, that's that didn't serve you well. I never realized how much I would have to think about my credit. And you know what? It's summertime and building credit's easy because with Chime Credit Builder, you have an easy way to build credit. I'm so excited about our new partner, Chime, because if you don't know what Chime is, it's about to make your life so much easier. Chime is an easy way to build your credit. Basically, how it works is they have a Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card, and it's just makes it so much easier. You can build your credit score safely with everyday purchases and on-time payments. There is no annual fee, no interest or credit check to get started. And you can use it everywhere that Visa credit cards are accepted. And by the way, Visa credit cards are preferred at most places. You can build credit using your own money. And with your Chime checking account, you can get paid up to two days earlier. You have a fee-free overdraft with SpotMe, which is up to $200, which is pretty epic. You ditch the monthly fees. No monthly fees. You know that all of these banks do monthly fees. It's so annoying. Chime doesn't. And you can access 60,000 plus fee-free ATMs, which is more than the top three national banks combined. Oh, did I mention you can send and receive money through Chime, no matter what bank your friends use, which is pretty epic. So start building your credit up and open a Chime checking account with at least $200 qualifying direct deposit to get started. You can get started at Chime.com slash Acme. That's Chime.com slash Acme. The Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card is issued by Stride Bank member FDIC. Chime checking account and $200 qualifying direct deposit required to apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply. On-time payment history may have a positive impact on your credit score. Late payment may negatively impact your credit score. Results may vary. To describe my personal PCOS journey a little bit more, when I went off birth control in March 2022, 
I didn't start to see the signs of PCOS. It's possible my ovaries looked like that. Yeah. But I didn't start to have like the signs of PCOS until I would say probably six months after going off birth control, which I do find interesting. You know, if you're someone listening and you're like, I'm on birth control, how do I know if I have PCOS? You don't. You don't. Which is scary. Yeah. And then there are some people who have taken breaks from birth control and they might know Mm -hmm. if they have it. Obviously there, most people don't have it. Yeah. But if you're listening and you're curious, I did have like textbook, not only photograph, but I had, so you either, so a lot of, I've heard that people have like hair growth. I had hair loss, which Mm -hmm. can also happen. Absolutely. I had acne, which Mm I had never had in my life. Not to be like, oh my God, clear skin. Must be nice. Yeah. (laughs) But I I knew something was off and I did, I gained weight. Like I had been the same weight my whole life. I had gained Mm -hmm. weight and I couldn't lose it. And you know, you and I have a similar diet where we eat (laughs) chicken nuggets. Junk. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not great. Don't do that. (laughs) Don't do it. And it started to like catch up to me in a point where it was like someone's playing a joke on me. Like, and, (laughs) and then, yeah. And then the period thing, of course, of course. Yeah. And so when you told me part of the reason that I was so disturbed by this information, one, I knew nothing about it. Yeah. Two, I, the first thing I Googled was like, you have to change your diet and your lifestyle. And I was like, Oh God, no. Like, and And then I was like, what does this mean for my fertility? Which is the biggest question of all. And I think, you know, people who wrote in questions about PCOS are just like, you know, what does this mean in terms of do I have to start earlier? How interesting. So, I mean, PCOS is different. I call them flavors, but let's call it a spectrum, right? So not everybody has the same stuff to meet their criteria. So some women just have the high hormone levels and the polycystic appearing ovaries, Some have the irregular periods and the acne. So it's variable. Technically, there are four phenotypes, but for like real deal life, it's just there are different variations here. You are at risk. Anybody with PCOS is at risk of things like insulin resistance, which can cause like the weight gain issues and the metabolic problems. You're at risk of things like sleep apnea if you're obese because of your PCOS. Mm. You're at risk of hypercholesterol and actually even like anxiety, depression. So with all in mind, we have to think about like the whole process. If you have irregular periods and PCOS, you will likely have infertility. If your cycles are regular, you might not. But if you have insulin resistance, and so for those who don't know what that means, insulin is the hormone that helps your body kind of like metabolize sugars. And no matter what we eat, our system is going to break everything down to a carb. So if you're keto, the reason you lose weight is because you have to do an extra step to make that into energy your body can use. And so if you have insulin resistance, what happens is the system shoots insulin up really high because it gets kind of overexcited. And then you crash usually after like refined carbohydrates. So you're tired for like 30 minutes after you eat. And this can also happen in your eggs because eggs are just cells. And so what we'll find is that women who have PCOS tend to have higher rates of like miscarriage and infertility and egg quality issues, which I'm sure we'll like talk about. So all of these things, it's not necessarily if you have PCOS, you definitely have infertility. You're at a much higher risk of it and a much higher risk if you have irregular periods. But PSA, if you have irregular cycles and you're not using contraception, you can still get pregnant. Okay. Don't, don't not protect yourself if you don't want to conceive. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I think it's also like the way that most doctors talk about PCOS. It's like, oh, you have PCOS, like you're definitely not getting pregnant and like yeah. you're 
like gonna die young, like not actually. No, but yeah. Like, so, so I remember the only thing I'd heard about PCOS was my friend in Sweden had it or has it. And the doctor told her that like her eggs ran out when she was like on birth control and there's nothing left and she has no chance of having a child. This is what the doctor That's, like said horrible. to her, which is kind of crazy because I feel like Sweden's like pretty chill. Yeah. And they said that to her and now she has two kids. Yeah. A boy and a girl. So I think it's really just about like, you know, that doctor didn't want to deal or something, you know, and finding the right doctor. Like, you know, when you told, like, when you told me that I had PCOS, like I was so shocked, but I was so grateful that somebody had said something Mm -hmm. and that we had a reason. Like, I remember we left and I was like really upset. I like called a friend crying And then I remember Stephen, like when I got home was like, how great is this? Like we have, like, we understand why Mm -hmm. it's been so hard. Like you're not like infertile, like it's not like, you know, my sperm, it's not like your, it's like, you know, we don't have, we're not ovulating and now we know why. Yeah. And so then we were just like, I mean, there's no way we're doing IVF with anyone, but spring at this point. (laughs) And so we decided to start the journey, but there were like precautions because of the PCOS. So what's the difference in a normal IVF journey versus someone who has PCOS going through it? So first, like a big picture concept for IVF is each month what happens when you have regular cycles is your brain is going to recognize at some point that you're not pregnant. And let's call it like day 28. It's going to start sending messages to try to get pregnant again because the biological imperative of the brain is to conceive. Like, that's it. That's why we cycle. And so it's going to send a message first to the uterus and say, like, okay, uterine muscle, I want you to cramp and get rid of this lining and start anew. And hey, ovaries, I want you guys to release as many follicles or immature eggs as you have. So usually when we're younger, that number is higher Mm -hmm. and the quality is better. And so on average, when you're less than 35, the ovaries are going to release about eight to 10 per ovary. The honest truth is, is there really no average when it comes to like egg numbers. What I say to patients is please don't compare, but we don't compare weights or bank accounts. Like don't talk about it because it can make people feel really uncomfortable and sad sometimes. And right. usually, and kind of what you're speaking to with our initial consult, people come into my office when no one wants to be there until they all kind of feel like failures. And it's my job to tell them that's not what this is about, right? Where we have a goal in mind, it's going to work out, but it's always this level of like, this isn't working. What's wrong with me? So don't talk about numbers, guys. But PCOS, what happens is your ovaries have so many extra follicles, and we don't understand why. There's no understanding of like the cause of PCOS that they usually release a lot. And this is where the spectrum is. Sometimes it's like 27, and sometimes it's 60. And so there is a correlation between the number of follicles you have and how irregular your cycles are. But when that initial release happens, it's quite literally overwhelming to the brain, and the brain's like, whoa, nope, can't do anything. And you don't cycle for a period of time, and then eventually we'll figure it out and something will happen. So that's why if you have irregular periods, you can still get pregnant. It's just kind of sporadic ovulation. And it's hard to catch, and sometimes it's no ovulation. So for IVF, usually I'm talking about growing, let's call it 15 to 25 follicles. It's predictable, manageable. We can talk about kind of risks and symptoms. In PCOS, those numbers are usually higher. 
therefore the side effect symptoms are higher and the risks are higher of complications or kind of consequences of IVF. But IVF is really just meant to like cheat. I'm giving extra hormone to grow extra eggs or extra follicles and that's how it works. So an easy example is if I can grow 12 eggs, that's the equivalent of like one year's worth of trying. So that's why IVF works tremendously well. It's just right. cheating. I'm not that great. It's just cheating. Right. Yeah. And from, so, so we started. Yeah. And there was, of course, those risks. Yeah. And we had like a pretty normal time with the injections. Yes. Yeah. Um, you were a trooper. She was a trooper. Yeah. We were very lucky because anytime we had a question, we were able to reach out to your care team yeah. and get a response almost immediately. Yeah. Whereas I'm positive that if we had done this with the other organization, we would be in the dark. And so we had this guidance from you guys. We never felt like we, you know, we always felt like we were the only patient. Always. I just and, appreciate that. Yeah. And then it's go time. Yeah. And we go in and I, you know, we do the retrieval, felt nothing, literally nothing. Like it was, it was great, honestly. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, afterwards, so we had gotten, as you mentioned, a lot of eggs because yep. we were on the PCOS yep. timeline or whatever. And like, you know, unfortunately didn't translate to as many great eggs, but yeah. I think it was like, you know, again, we don't talk numbers, yeah, but it was but high. Talk, it was really high numbers. It was yeah. a high number. And yeah. there is the risk, as you said, yeah. and I did develop this thing called OHSS after. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What exactly is that? So when you grow extra follicles, you're quite literally like hyperstimulating or overstimulating the ovaries. So that's what I'm doing, right? To have syndrome, like pathology, is meaning that other things happen. And sometimes it's you basically, like your ovaries sweat, so you get really dehydrated. And then if you get dehydrated, your blood can get really thick and it can put you at increased risk of blood clots. But by definition, I'm always hyperstimulating a patient. If the numbers are pathologically high, there's always a risk of this. For you, and we know this might happen, right? When I know the hormone levels are high and the follicle numbers are high, we try to protect against it by giving a certain like trigger medication that doesn't give you actual syndrome, like the true sequelae. That doesn't mean you don't feel like crap, right? So you didn't get like the syndrome as in you were like in danger. Right. You certainly had the, oh my God, we retrieved so many follicles. I feel horrible. My ovaries were like up to your ribs, right? They're right. massive. Mm -hmm. And so that just happens just because the ovary gets really big and the pelvis is small, right? There's not that much real estate. And when women have ultrasounds, I was like, oh my God, that's my bladder. That's right. like my intestine. Yeah, it's all right there. Yeah. And so after, and this is kind of counterintuitive, many patients have brought this up to me, leading up is, is bad, but it's not that bad. Like you're kind of ready for these symptoms. We talk about what it feels like when ovaries grow. Retrieval day, you feel pretty good because you have IV anesthesia, right? And then it's the next day when the body goes to heal the ovaries and sends blood cells, which are heavier than like water, you actually feel worse. You feel much like heavier and much more bloated and much more fatigued. And that oftentimes typically lasts for two days. Yours lasted for longer because your recovery was longer. You had so many more follicles. Right. And you also, your hormones are changing so quickly you're emotionally like not at your best. So it's this combination of, my God, I feel physically not so great and I feel emotionally not so great. And that's where you need support, right? And that's where it's nice to have like a center or even like friends and partners where we can just call and say, is this okay? Because mm -hmm. you're also afraid. You're like, am I dying? Like, am I okay? It's like, you're actually okay, but come in, let's take a look. Let's make sure let's not ignore. Um, but you had like mild hyperstim because 
that's what we did. Right? right. I grew tons and we knew it. I knew it. You knew yeah. it. Yeah. I absolutely loved going over your dating app profiles on in all of the shows, especially in the New York show when Pilot Pete let me go over his hinge. It's so funny because he's like very new to the dating apps and just, you know, taking him through the prompts. He had one prompt that was about his dog who sadly had passed away. So we definitely had to change that one so that the girls weren't asking about the dog. And then he had to tell them the sad news every single time. And I just love Hinge. I love Hinge because you get to have fun with it. You get to fill out about me, date vibes, your type. You get little a little bit personal. It's really fun. Actually, And at the Boston show, we had a really fun prompt. I think it was like, believe it or not, I don't like matcha and I'm sick of lying. And to be honest with you guys, I'm sick of lying. I, I don't like matcha either. Like, it's not good. It's like, you know how people feel about avocados. Like we pretend to love them. And you know what? I do love avocados sometimes. Post-pregnancy, I I don't like avocados as much, but we need to stop lying and write it on our hinge prompts because it's so fun. And like, actually you get the best responses when you're honest on hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted because it's the intentional dating app that actually works. So if you're looking for a meaningful relationship, download Hinge today. Meet someone great and then you just delete Hinge when it feels right. And you just made, you just brought such a good point up, which is the support thing because so many women who are single and want to freeze their eggs, you know, if they're doing it at a larger clinic, yeah. And let's say they're not telling their friends. Let's say they're just doing this thing like that they want to do and they just yeah. want to go about their life. The support like is not really existent at a lot of these bigger places. Like it is and it I just know. it's not like the handholding that a lot yeah, of people it's different. want. Yeah. But like if you freeze your eggs at spring, like you really like don't feel alone. Like I, I hope if not. Steven wasn't there, like I would still be like, oh, like my girls, like at the <laughs> office, you know? I, yeah. It's because you bought us donuts. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I think honestly, to be fully transparent, larger centers can do this well. They can. Yeah. It's just, it can feel as a patient more of a challenge and you might not be able to recognize that they are keeping close tabs on you. I think at centers that are not smaller, like spring cycle volume is not so much smaller. It's just orchestrated in a way that we're able to see patients in a fashion where they can see me or talk to their team and have touch points where they don't have to explain everything, right? right. So you don't have to say, hey, I'm Lindsay. I had this. this and, like someone's talking to you and right. saying, hey, that trip happened yesterday. You okay? What's going on? You mm-hmm. had a lot of eggs retrieved, right? So it's just allowed that bureaucracy of some larger centers is challenging, but it's not a one-size-fits-all model, right. honestly. No, it's not, true. not to be too um, – but I do – I do think, and I'm proud of the fact that at spring, we really, we can prioritize that. And I have a pulse. Now, I'm sure there are some patients that I've seen that would say that isn't true because no one's perfect, right? right? But I hope that that's the case. And I'm glad it was the case for you. Yeah, no, it definitely was. Yeah. And what was interesting for us is that when we were in the spring waiting room sometimes, yeah, yeah. we would see other couples that we yeah. kind of knew. Yeah. Oh, and God. it's oh, like, no, <laughs> yeah. no, not, not too okay. often, okay. but, but it was this very like unspoken thing where like, you know, you kind of are going through the same thing as yeah. a couple yeah, and you don't know where the other couple is at in their journey, but like you see them in this place 
And I remember the first time we ran into a couple, Steven knew them. And afterwards, him and the the girl who he was friendly with just like exchanged like a heart on text. And I thought that was really nice. And then we had run into yeah. a couple that I knew and we were in the lobby so we could converse. Yeah. And we were like, you know, like, you know, we wish we wish you guys like we hope it goes well for you guys. And they and they were like, you know, you too. And yeah. neither of us had really yeah. spoken more. Yeah. We thought that was really nice because the shame that you can feel as a couple yeah. going through this when all of your friends, and there's nothing wrong with people saying this, yeah. but so excitedly are like, I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant, you know, every four seconds. And you feel like, well, what's wrong with me? You know, why is this not happening for me? And that can be really tough, especially because people don't talk about this as yeah. much. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think I don't, I do know why, but I wish it wasn't the case. And infertility felt like this like cloak of shame. It is so, so, so common and getting more and more common, especially in New York City, as people are delaying like their family building and women are coming to it at an older age, more often than not, they need a little bit of assistance or New Yorkers love you are on a timeline. And so you're like, oh yeah, I've tried for three months, but like it needs to happen in the next two months. And so what can I do? Right. You don't necessarily have to have like infertility to have fertility treatments, I wish more people talked about this. We talk about this all the time at spring, which is like, is there a way to build a community around this? Do people want to be exposed and talk about it? I don't know. Like we've tried to have events where everyone can just come and talk and share and they're not that well attended. Like people are not quite ready yet. Women who are freezing their eggs, all about it, which I think is great. Mm -hmm. Infertility is a different beast. Yeah. And people, they feel like they failed. Mm -hmm. Also, if you don't have success and your friend does, it's like a whole nother right, layer. Right. It becomes like a it just unwanted competition. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It becomes really competitive. And that's really hard. And I don't I don't know how to fix that until we remove this stigma of infertility. And yeah. other than saying it's so, so common. Right. So what common. I what I will say is something that helped me because of what you said, like people don't want, you know, it's like people don't want to put a face to a name also. Yeah. Reddit actually had great fertility, infertility communities. I hate saying infertility because it's just fertility. But yeah, like yeah. infertility communities where like, you know, anonymous people would share their journeys and I would go on and like look every so often and see yeah. like, I don't know these people, but like what their updates were. Because I thought that was like, you know, I was far removed enough that mm -hmm. like it wasn't going to hurt me if some random person on this community got pregnant. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, as like, I don't know if I still, like, I wanted to hear like people also struggling, like people yeah. not getting, yeah. you know, it's like, you yeah. want to hear a mix. Yeah. And then, okay. So then going back. So we do the egg retrieval. Yeah. We make the embryos. Yeah. And then we started in March mm -hmm. of this year. So of yep. 2023. Yep. And then by May, we were ready to do our mm -hmm. first trans. We are coordinator on your very busy travel schedule. Oh my yes. God, which okay. I don't recommend. I don't recommend oh traveling yes. <laughs> or climbing a bridge in Portugal uh, yeah. right yeah. after your IVF <laughs> transfer. But we were finally ready to do the transfer. And yeah. I have friends, you know, and again, it's a comparison game. It's so stupid. But I have friends who have done IVF, yeah. never, never worked on the first transfer. So my expectations were on the ground. Yeah. And then I want to go back and talk about like the origin of the shame for all of it. Yeah, me but too. But my expectations were just not good. Yeah. And nothing to do with spring, nothing to no, do no, with No, no, just you, in general. Just yeah. in general. And then also the PCOS thing. Like yeah. I was like, 
ready for failure. Yeah, you were talking about transfer number two before we even did exactly. One. Yeah. Like uh-huh. I was like, let's you know, yeah. first burnt pancake, yeah. then yeah. the next one will be gorgeous. <laughs> um, and so we did the transfer. Then Stephen and I got on a flight the next day, mm-hmm. and we went on a family trip of with my in laws to Portugal, and you know, just even going on this trip, we were like, we, we screwed it. Like we, we fucked it. Like we're I feel like everyone's not going to go to Portugal. I'm like, this is actually <laughs> good. I'm going to go to Portugal. Literally. <laughs> we were happen. like, we screwed it. Looking back, I will say very grateful yeah. for having been distracted by yeah. this trip. Cause I would just be sitting around being like, did this work? Yeah. Definitely wouldn't have like left my house as much or been as active as much. Cause mm-hmm. I would have been like nervous. Yeah. And so grateful that I was there, but again, still I'm like, there's no way I'm pregnant, like sneaking a little prosciutto, you know? And, and <laughs> tell me that now. Okay, it's fine. We're cool. It's okay. No, no, no. Like barely a bite. Stephen would never like your prosciutto. No, 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 no. He didn't yeah. know. Yeah. And then, and then we get back. And so we had done the transfer May 7th. Yeah. We get back. We're, it's like May, it's like Mother's Day or something. Mm-hmm. And then we're supposed to hear on May 14th. So a week later. Mm-hmm. A little bit more than a little that, bit yes, more than yes. a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're like- May 16th, the 6th is my lucky number. Right, right, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we're like, he's like, you know, we talked about the night before. He's like, what do you think? I'm like, I don't think it worked. What do you think? And he's like, I think it did. And I was like, that's nice, you know? <laughs> and so we go into spring that morning. We have a, we get our blood drawn. Mm-hmm. My blood drawn, yep. which my poor veins. I know. We should talk about that too. That's a thing. I know. I know. It's yeah, a thing. It's a thing. And so do the blood drawn. And then we had had a conversation with you and you very- I ran into you in the hallway. Yeah. 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 You were so amazing at asking us this question because we yeah. had no idea how things were going to go down. And you mm-hmm. were like, do you want me to- text if it's yeah. bad news, call if it's yeah. good. Like what's the, what is best for you? Yeah, Which is etiquette? not yeah. a thing that doctors ever ask. They're just like, you know, here's like an email. I'm I like, hope it is. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, don't know. I hope too. I hope so. And you were like, I'll like, what if I like send a text, like have the info and yeah. then we hopped on and we were like, perfect. Yeah. And so he went into the office. I went home and we thought it was going to be like a few hours. Mm-hmm. An hour later, we get a text being mm-hmm. like, hey, like have the results. That's good like information. First thing to do if you want your results fast is go in early. Yeah. You run the bloods like right, right. in order hourly. So the okay. earlier you go, good to know. the earlier I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so then I'm like obviously so upset with Stephen for going to work. I'm like, you need to come home <laughs> this second. And I really wanted to record this like whole phone conversation. I can't but I was believe like, you wanted to do that. But I was like, if it's bad news and I have to ever see this again, yeah. like I will lose my mind. Yeah, because it's like in the moment. Right. And so, so we get on the phone with you. Were you recording it? I, re- I ended up recording after you told us okay. the news. Okay. <laughs> oh but we got on the phone with you and you're like, I, I, I have like part of the video, but you're like, I don't even know how you said it. I, I don't blacked even know. Out. I'm sure you I said blacked it's, out. Yeah, I'm you sure it's like, positive. You were like, yeah. so you guys are pregnant. Yeah. And I was like, what? <laughs> I immediately like put my hand in my head, like my head in my hands. Yeah. I was crying. We were both crying. It was the craziest moment. It was so surreal. I still don't fully understand how we got so lucky, but I really do attribute it to you and like the Aww. team. Like, making sure that like it was you there on the day it wasn't someone else you know like I just I don't know I don't know how I I think that's super I super generous and I think a part of it is you know there's like I really believe a little bit I'm not so woo woo you know this but I believe like 
if you have the power of like positivity, usually things are going to work out. Even if they don't work out, they're going to work out. Right. And I think you had that kind of infertility that I always say is really treatable, right? You guys weren't getting pregnant because you didn't have chances. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing if like someone's tubes are blocked or the sperm count is really low. That's very treatable by what I do. Much harder is things that I can't explain. Like everything's okay, but it's still not working. That's where you get these curveballs. But the reason I can say, hey, success rates are pretty high with this. I think it's going to be 70%, 72% it's going to work. It doesn't always work. And if it doesn't work, it sucks because you don't know why. Right. Um, allows me to like walk in the light more often. Mm -hmm. But I love the positive phone calls. But the ones that I think are really important for the docs to make actually are like the bad news. Oh, yeah. Everyone loves the good news, right? Mm -hmm. I love that phone call. I feel great all day. Right. The, hey, it didn't work. I always call it taking my medicine. I never want to make those phone calls, but I know that I have to, right? And I yeah. usually will say to the same thing to all my patients, how do you want to know? Who do you want to call you? Don't be freaked out when it's me because I think people think when the doctor calls, it's something bad. So I always say a transfer, I'm going to call you no matter what, right? Like it will be me. Don't be alarmed and I won't leave it on a voicemail because I really hate that. And I actually, I never post on Instagram. We've talked about this too, but I've done it a couple of times. And one post, I said something like this about that phone call. And I had so many patients like write in and DM me. And I didn't realize those even existed, guys. I'm not that old, but I'm pretty old. <laughs> and she was like, I've saved my voicemail from you. And like all of these women saying like how important that call for me was. And just like reminds me that you have to do it every single time, like yeah. no matter what, even if you don't do the transfer, if you don't do the retrieval, like that culmination of a lot of work is critical, I think, right. Right. Um, to hear from me. If you've been following my food Instagram, you know that I have literally just been eating whatever I want. And it's not it's not great. I got to tell you, because when you have PCOS and you're pregnant, it definitely makes it harder on you if you're eating pizza and burgers and fries every single day. My skin is breaking out. It's not good. Like the bloat on top of the pregnancy bloat is so real. But now that I'm in the second trimester and I have some more like freedom when it comes to what I'm able to eat and not get grossed out by, I am back on track with Sakara's flexible signature nutrition program. It makes it so easy to plan nourishing feel good meals around my packed summer calendar without getting grossed out by them because I know that Sakara's meals are delicious. And if I have a lot of dinners, I can just sign up for the breakfasts and lunches or if I have crazy days, just the breakfast, because to be honest, the breakfasts are my favorite part of Saqqara. If you don't know what Saqqara is, Saqqara brings expertly designed organic nutrition programs and wellness essentials right to your door. Their science-backed ready-to-eat meals deliver results that you can see and feel from weight management and ease bloat to boosted energy and clearer skin, which I am desperate for these days. And right now, Saqqara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to saqqara.com slash acme or enter code acme at checkout. That's Saqqara, S-A-K, com slash Acme to get 20% off of your first order. Sakara.com slash Acme. So what are you waiting for? Now back to the show. I have no idea what's going to happen from now until I know. like, yeah. no idea, you know, yeah. knocking on wood every day. Yeah, yeah. No Even idea. What's, uh, <laughs> no, never again. <laughs> no idea what's going to happen yeah. for the next time. Right. You know, we want to get pregnant, but yeah. 
just so grateful because now I look back on my journey and I'm like, IVF isn't so bad. And my friend's yeah. about to go through it. And I'm like, let me get on the phone and let me tell you- Walk her through it. That like, it's not as horrible as people think. And then, yeah. you know, going back to the shame thing, yeah. like, how did, where did the shame around fertility originate? This is what I think. Okay. Like, you know, the story of like Henry V and like the the wife, like only having yes. girls yes. and like, then he like mm-hmm. kills her mm-hmm. every time. Like <laughs> every time. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's where it originated or like, or just like how women would just be straight up killed if yeah. they couldn't provide an heir mm-hmm. or a son like yeah. back in the day. So yeah. Killed. Like not even like, oh, let's see what's wrong. Just bye. Yeah. And it's like the House of Dragon, like the first episode. It's like choose, like choose yes. the wife or choose the kid. The yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But I it is amazing to me that like really powerful women can be in my office and I'm like, I'm in awe of them and I know who they are. I'm just like trying to not fangirl. And they're basically just telling me like how they feel like failures and total crap. And I'm just thinking, oh my God, what? Like and I don't, I think for everybody, it's probably a, a different space. It can be because your sister got pregnant really quickly, or mm-hmm. it can be because you smoked a lot of cigarettes or drank a lot of alcohol and you feel like you did this. And right. there's just always the element of like, what did I do to make this happen? And so I think I agree with Steven, which I hate to say that I agree with the husband, but I do. When you think <laughs> about, it's good to have an answer that feels like it can absolve people of that underlying guilt and shame that I, I can't explain why it exists. I just try to quickly, quickly get rid of it. Mm. And I think for fertility, what's really hard is a lot of the treatments, no matter what the underlying cause is, are really centered around the woman. And that's hard, right? Like you bear the brunt of it no matter what. And going through that experience is is just a challenge. I have many patients like, I can't believe I have to do this when like, you know, it's his sperm. And it's like, it's really, it's always a partnership, but it's, and also the visits, right? Like partners don't always come in. And so you're making the time and it's hard. I and an IVF is not IVF gets a bad rap. I think it's a sprint. It's not a marathon. It's like fourteen days, give or take. But it's not easy. And everyone has a different experience. So when I say about it, is we all do hard things all the time. This you hope is going to like pay off in the end, so it's worth it. But I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to say that you're not going to hate the shots. You're not going to get bruised. You're not going to feel gross. You're not going to like be in bed the two days afterwards. It's more like right. those aren't reasons not to do something that's going to help you achieve a goal, but I think it's not totally fair to be like, oh, this is perfect. And I think people that post about it sometimes don't post about the ugly, right? Mm. It's like, no, the ugly exists. It's just, we can all manage it as long as we're talking about it. There's transparency and you have like relationships either. Like it doesn't have to be with your doc necessarily, I think in a clinic, but there has to be somebody there that you trust, that you feel like knows you so that you can have like a really good experience through it. And something you can't do it without it. It's just- it's so much better when you have like a partner, whether it's right. an actual partner or like your clinic or your doc or your mm-hmm. team as your partner. That's what I noticed time and time again with like second opinion consult. That's not that I would do anything different, honestly. Like what I do, it's not that hard. It's like the, tr- the joke of all of this, but the experience and getting the patient through it in a way that doesn't, that it feels good for them, that part actually is like the art and the hard part of this. Yeah. It's so interesting because going through this experience, like I learned that nobody knows anything about IVF. Like, no, no or, one. Or knows like menstrual cycles, no one knows anything. Thing. Anything. No one knows anything. Yeah. But I did use that to my advantage because friends would be like, "So how are things going?" And wow. I'd be like, "Oh yeah, we're just like you know preparing to the transfer." I would say that <laughs> we were preparing to the transfer oh. for like 
three months. Because they knew you did it, but they didn't know that you did a transfer. No, like, no, no. No one knew that we anything. did it. Like people, you know, because we weren't going to say anything until we were, I was yeah. in the second trimester. Unless, like, unless it was very close yeah. to friends and family. And so like people would check in, you know, how's it going? A bit, oh, preparing, you know, preparing, preparing. Like, when do you think the transfer will be? Oh, we'll know soon, hopefully. We'll know soon. And nobody knows what that means. Like yeah. if I remember I was doing a progesterone shot in my butt, which many people don't know about, but yeah. can be part of the process yeah. on a bachelorette. And yeah. and like my friend that I was sharing the room with was like, oh, like, you know, what's this for? And I'm like, oh, and this is so like, you know, I guess. What you, did you say it was? I'm fascinated. Wait, so you start that, I, I, depending on, you know, everyone's different, yeah, but yeah. I, I think we started that like six days or seven days before the transfer. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, it's for, I think I said like pre- prepare for the transfer. But if she knew more about IVF, she would know, oh, so that means your transfer is in five yeah. days. Yeah. And even, even, you know, Stephen's parents and my parents would be like, you know, we were on the trip and they had no idea that we were doing the trip. Like nobody knew anything. But and you disclosed, so you disclosed that you were doing something. They just didn't understand like what the process entails. Right, so it wasn't. exactly. But good for you for disclosing something because a lot of people will hide everything and right. then you're doing projection shots in like a closet and it's a right. disaster. No, um, my God, I, I've done one progesterone shot on a plane and one egg retrieval shot on a plane. And people and think I'm a like- limo going to Taylor Swift. Let's oh, really yeah. put it oh, yeah. There. Not even a limo. It was a regular <laughs> car. And oh, that one was bad because I did the shot in my butt that night of, of the Taylor Swift concert. And usually we do like a little aftercare, like a mm-hmm. little massage on the butt. And we didn't have time to aftercare. So I just went straight to like, you know, standing up all yeah. night dancing. And then I had this like huge bruise the oh, next no. day. But that was my fault. That was one of the best questions. I mean, I get asked a lot of great questions, but asking if you can do a shot on your way to Taylor Swift was one of my, I was like, yeah, that's okay. Just like maybe pull over. It was amazing. And also like my friends were like, yeah, we're not going to look. And then they were like, we looked. And that was crazy. That me- the needle was huge. Was no, like- that's, that's the, for me, I would say that's like the worst thing that I prescribe and do to a patient with those progesterone yeah. shots, which I try to avoid them. Like I, right. I don't love them. But then you get used to it and it's, and it's Okay. Um, and not everybody, and we're done. But I'm now. glad you did. Yeah, and you're done. We're done now, which is which is crazy. So I want to tap into a few of the questions that came in. Okay, these make me nervous. I'm taking a sip of water. Okay. <laughs> okay. So we talked about kind of like how common it was, but if you have like any specific statistics about how common? Oh, and this actually pissed me off. Someone said how <laughs> someone said how common is it for women to need IVF to get pregnant? And I changed it to couples. Because that's blaming the woman. But anyway, your question, how common is it for people to need IVF to get pregnant? So here's the thing, right? There are people that do IVF to get pregnant by choice and those that do it for infertility. So Mm -hmm. infertility right now, and I think it's probably undermeasured, is one in six couples. And it's increasing mostly because usually fertility, like the number one variable is the age of the egg or the woman. And so as women delay, for lots of good reasons, fertility is going up. So it's, it's a lot of people and IVF is really effective. So I have a lot of couples in New York that come because they just actually want to like time things. They want a bit of control and I support that wholeheartedly. Right. But that also takes a lot of, a lot of privilege. Absolutely. So like I know a couple who I love very dearly yeah. who she's had three boys and yeah. she wants to do IVF in order to make sure that their next is a girl. Yeah. And that of course is, is a privilege. Yeah. But if you don't have the privilege, if you, if you have infertility and you don't have the privilege of even doing IVF at all for yeah. one child, mm-hmm. what 
is like an alternative option? Like, is it as sad as being like, nothing? No, no. I mean, at least not in New York. So New York's one infertility is a disease. And we fought long and hard to to be labeled as a disease because a disease then can get like insurance coverage. If it was ever or always considered like elective and by choice, insurance companies won't cover it. And so once you say, okay, this is a disease state, but you have to have infertility. And so what does that mean? That means if you're less than 35 for a woman, you have tried for 12 months. You have to meet that criteria to then have commercial insurance cover your fertility treatments. If you're between 36 and 39, it's six months. And if you're older than 40, it's actually like whenever, like come in and talk about it. And that's because we're thinking about success rates and variables that might be in play. So in New York, if your company is based in New York, they have to cover your infertility. Now, how much they cover is a whole different story, right? But you have to have some kind of coverage. Most insurance plans will cover diagnostic treatments. So checking to see if it's the sperm, is it the tubes, is it the uterus? Like it's, and it's usually, honestly, a combination of things. So that is often covered and we'll figure out what's going on. The next piece is, so what do you do about it? This is where it's a little bit of a privilege and in my opinion, commercial insurance is a bit backwards. And so a lot of plans will kind of make us do what we call like lesser treatments before greater. And the reason it gets the lesser or greater is it's about like efficacy or efficiency there. And so the first thing we try, and honestly, what you guys tried unbeknownst to you is saying, we're going to take a, a pill, a medication to try to grow more follicles, right? If it's just a probability thing, if I can make more than one egg and maybe two, three, four, just more people at the party, more chances of success. And then usually coupled with that is placing the sperm closer to the eggs. And so the majority of the sperm that are ejaculated actually die in the vagina. No one really knows this, that the reason the window of receptivity is so tight is because your body's trying to protect you from like a foreign invader. It doesn't just want you to like be exposed all the time. And so most of the sperm is going to die in the vagina. It's highly acidic. That small window where the cervical mucus changes, and we probably all know that when it kind of gets tacky, that's when sperm can actually be allowed inside. And so the way to get around that really tight window is say, you know what, I'm just going to circumvent it. I'm going to make the sperm kind of consolidated, screen them and put them inside the uterus. So the first step often in fertility treatments is something called intrauterine inseminations plus controlled ovarian hyperstimulation. So taking a pill, growing more, putting sperm closer, see what happens. You can can imagine that's really not that effective, right? Because if the you've been doing that pretty well, you've been tracking your cycles, chances are they've been at the same party at the same time and it hasn't happened. So that's where IVF gets its power mm. of a treatment, but also diagnosis. So a lot of insurance would say, okay, but you got to try this IUI thing for three cycles or six cycles. It's not really about what like the patients want in their priority. It's about treating the disease, which I respect, but it's hard. And so then once you've tried that and then you're not pregnant, most insurances will cover IVF. Again, if you're based in New York state and not all, um, And so it's a challenge. That's one of, for me, like the hardest things is this financial barrier that happens. Happens a lot with egg freezing too. So people will come and they want to do things and I want to do them. And just the financing doesn't work. And I hate that as a doctor. Like that's not ever a barrier that I want. Of course. I just can't, I can't, I I can't do anything about it. Yeah. And it's, I mean, not just with fertility doctors, but every doctor doesn't want to no. be thinking about no heart transplants, everything you're just like I don't want patient yeah. is being charged for it's like <laughs> it's awful no. yeah and also just like to be transparent about our financial situation yeah. we had to upfront mm-hmm. the money and yeah. like now we're working with insurance to get reimbursed, reimbursed but 
many people can't upfront money like that. Right. So even if insurance is going to cover it at the end of the day, it's like, it's, it's really hard. It's really hard. And I know that some people like go to different countries and whatever, and I don't know if that's safe, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Is it true that egg freezing is less likely to work than embryo freezing? Yes, in like a probability sense, right? When you freeze eggs, you're freezing like potential, the start of a very long biological process. And so there's just uncertainty there. You don't know the quality of those eggs. It's, it's like dating a guy who's like not fully <laughs> mature, like okay. dating for potential versus like dating a guy who has his shit together. <laughs> but what would you choose? That's hard. Like maybe I would choose the potential. Oh, definitely the guy who has his shit together. You think, but oh, not everyone is, has the luxury because some people meet when they're younger. Yeah. I mean, I married my high school sweetheart, exactly. so I guess I want potential. So you got lucky. Yeah. It worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you do egg freezing, that's the thing you don't know until you come back to use them. And so women who freeze their eggs when they are less than 35, chances are pretty good. If you have a certain number, it's going to turn into one pregnancy for you. As we get older, I will always counsel, hey, you want to freeze more because I don't want you to come back to me at 43 thinking your eggs at 37 and and you froze nine. It's like Kourtney Kardashian, who I don't want to talk about. (laughs) You know, like if you're freezing seven eggs, it's probably not going to be sufficient, right, to have a healthy embryo depending on what your age is. So a lot of this goes into the counseling with your doc and understanding like what are the pros, cons here, what, what do you need to do? But so embryo freezing is more successful as a strategy because you're freezing the final product. I know what's up and I can tell you, you have enough or hey, you don't right then and there and you make a decision mm-hmm. and you say, actually, they're all abnormal. Ugh, okay. You do it again. Or hey, you have four, you're good to go right. depending on what your goals are. Right. But egg freezing, it's just as like, I call it an asterisk. I don't know. I know averages. I know like this is my model based on lots of data. Outcome data is hard to get with egg freezing because it's still relatively new. And certainly in New York, it's it's just starting now. Like when I was of the age people were talking about this, none of my friends did it. And they had me. And I was like, guys, you should do this. And they're like, absolutely not. Like, what's wrong with you? They wouldn't listen to a word I said. Now, women, it's it's much more discussed and different professions are doing it. It's not just tech, right? People are thinking about this and prioritizing it. And I think it's a bit of social media, honestly. Mm-hmm. And I think employers understanding young women know about this and want this. And so you have a choice, right? Either you're going to like cover it or you're going to lose them, which I love here for a feminist first. But I I think you really have to understand the fertility preservation options when you're making that choice. And there's also a lot of stuff around embryos, right? This is probably like dating. Making embryos when you're in a relationship is different than when you're in a marriage because embryos are property. Right. You have a prenup. You have, so you have to have a prenup. My consents, any clinic's consents, are not really legally binding. Like they're not going to hold up in a court of law if you're like on divorce cart. So you have to really think about who gets those embryos and who's going to like decide to discard them. And if you're not married, you don't have to make that decision. So the embryos sit in purgatory, which means someone's paying their storage. Right. Because one of the other parties is not going to say, yes, discard. And we both agreed to this. So I always talk about that and talk about like, think about this before and also potentially kind of do both. Freeze right, eggs and freeze say, embryos. If, if, if I also were in a, a privilege, like Exactly. Yeah. If I were in a relationship but didn't know that they were going to be my husband, but wanted, you know, I would freeze embryos and eggs, more eggs than embryos, obviously. Yeah. And depending yeah. on how many starting follicles or eggs you have, you can sometimes do it in one cycle. We call right. those split cycles. Right. You can sometimes do two cycles, of course, but that's that's twice the cost. So mm-hmm. this is this is tough. And I talk about this all day, every yeah. day. And it's just important that 
where you where you're thinking about freezing your eggs, you should think about if you're going to make your embryos there, and also make sure you get all of your questions answered in that consult. Right? It's an hour. It's a lot of time. We can go through all of, like the nuances and nitty gritty stuff. Right. It's funny because I get two different but similar questions often. Okay. The first is what age should I freeze my eggs, and the second is what age should I start Botox. Oh. I have to say. Okay, what's the answer to the second question? Okay, so. I know the first. So <laughs> I actually, do, so like they have opposite answers. Okay. I think the earlier, the better for freezing your eggs. Yep. And people are getting wrong information about Botox. It is not the earlier, the better. Okay. I think it's at the first faint line on your face. So I think you can wait till Botox till 30. But unless you've been in the sun a lot. like Unless uh, you have a very wrinkly forehead, which some people do. <laughs> yeah. But like same same um, rule, like faint line or yeah. you know, when you see a line. So maybe that line you see is at 25, then start Botox. But I think earlier they're better for egg freezing. Yeah, and that's true. And don't rush into it before you have any aging signs for Botox. Because these girls are looking like they're 50 and they're 20 and it's not good. I agree. Also, the age you look is not the age of your ovaries. So I have a lot of people come in who look phenomenal. And I say, okay, but your ovaries are still X right, age. Right, and they're right, like, right. Oh. they're like, like, this no. facelift like, didn't, wasn't a facelift like, for my ovaries. Yes, and, but that's, I'm not, I'm not joking. People don't know that. It's right. like, you can't, yes, being healthy is helpful. Absolutely. Right. But the most important variable in egg quality is age, no matter what. Right. And yeah. so that, I agree with you. The younger, the better within reason. And the challenge there is the financing, right? Very few of us at like 25, 26 have a slush fund that we're like, we can put towards egg freezing. And egg freezing on average in New York is about $10,000 just right. for the cycle. Medications are about 3000 And one of the reasons when we started this conversation, you asked me like, why did you leave your clinic go to spring? This was interesting to me. Spring, even though it was founded by two men, was really feminist. And they had put in place early, like a payment plan for egg freezing. And I was wowed by this because the clinic I was working at that, again, I really loved, I had brought this up. And I said, hey, what do you think about this? And the powers that be there were like, young women are a bad bet. They're not going to come back for these eggs and we're going to be out all this money. And I was like, have you met young women? Like, are you joking? Like, we're a great bet. And the idea that like Spring understood that this is a really good thing to do from just like a medical standpoint, the younger, the better. From a business standpoint, like, yes, have a payment plan. More people can do this. It's more accessible. And it's like the right thing, like blew my mind. I talk about it all the time because it makes it pretty manageable. It's mm-hmm. not inexpensive, but it's two fifty dollars a month. And I feel like that's something we can budget for and figure out as opposed sure. to saying, hey, here's a lump sum of cash. It's a lot of cash. So yeah. Yes, the younger the better, within reason. And the answer of it, are you ever too old? No, it just depends on like why you're freezing your eggs and mm-hmm. who's like who you're talking to. Because I'd never want to say to like a 47-year-old, hey, this is gonna work. You're gonna freeze two eggs, you're gonna have a baby. It's bullshit, right? And so it's just about what do these eggs mean to you? If it's an opportunity or like a chance of hope, I'm so here for it, right? If it's because somebody has told you that this is gonna be a baby for you, these one to two eggs. That's not fair. That's disingenuous. And so it's just understanding what they're going to do in the future potentially for you. Mm-hmm. Not to say you could freeze two eggs at 47 and have a baby. Don't get me wrong. It's just that's not the most likely scenario. And so we have to understand what's going on yeah. because the world of fertility, and, and this is where like I'm kind of mixed on the Reddit, Facebook group stuff because it gets really like anecdotal. 
And not everyone is the same. Not everyone's experience is the same. I'm not, I'm like half joking about the Portugal thing. Like people are going to now be like, Lindsay Metz, I went to Portugal and it works, <laughs> right? And yeah. like, okay, like maybe. No, you can't. You, you just can't. And so I think it's really important to live in the world of like truth and evidence right. and never try to like sell snake oil or hoodwink people. And yeah. not everyone believes in that. And I spent a lot of time like myth demunking in my office from like, my friend did this and my doctor said this. Right. Like and this one acupuncture. Yes. No, like, right. Yeah. No, it's, yeah. it's similar with dating. It's like, you know, not everyone is like the exception. Some people have great situations where yeah. like they date the guy for two years, he strings them along and then it works out. Like, and some people meet the guy the first day. Like you can't compare because no. everyone's story is different. Yeah. Especially with dating, especially with fertility. True. The catchphrase. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How often if, is it the man's issue versus the woman's issue? So it's a, it's about 30% male factor, mm-hmm. 30% female factor. And truth is, and I, I really say this a lot, it's usually a combination. It's not like one or the other. It's like a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And it's just enough to cause infertility. But it's not often the case that like one partner is perfect and the other one has like the sole issue. And a lot of the time we don't know. Unexplained infertility is super common. And it's an annoying diagnosis to have because it suggests that I don't understand but it actually just means the tests are looking at big picture things. Like, is there sperm? Are the tubes open? Like, are the tunnels open? Is the uterus okay? And like, is there an egg? Oftentimes, like the devil's in the detail. And I often say, okay, if we can't figure it out from these tests and it's not working with inseminations, we're going to figure it out with IVF. Something's going to happen, right? Yeah. Their eggs are not going to fertilize with sperm at the same rate that they usually do, or they're not going to turn to embryos at the same rate that they usually do. And that happens in PCOS, right? which is egg quality can definitely be affected. And so you might start with more, but end to end, the number of embryos is actually the same as a woman who started with half the number of eggs. And we talk about that because my whole like sole purpose is to manage expectations because this is really emotional, right? Even Mm -hmm. if you're the coolest person in the world, egg freezing, fertility treatments, it's a roller coaster. And so understanding like what might be coming down the path is really important. Right. And I just want to say, because I do feel like we've been very much like, freezing your eggs is necessary and you got to do this. Mm -mm. Like going back to what you said, which is fertility has everything to do with your cycle. If you have, if you're listening to this and you have a regular period and you're terrified of freezing your eggs, it's okay. Yeah. You don't have to. Yep. You know? No. And most people don't. Yeah. What I don't necessarily endorse, even though I do it a lot, is this like fertility checkup, right? The number of eggs you have, so when I do a scan and we do like an AMH, has nothing to do with your ability to get pregnant. Your ability to get pregnant is just, do you get a period? Right. How many follicles your body starts with is just really a kind of a factor of how many it has in total as long as, but the net of that is always one. So if you release 20, one's grown. If you release five, one is grown. It's just these regular periods. And so I do endorse like a birth control holiday with backup protection, mm-hmm. if you've been on the pills forever and you want to know. So sometimes I say, hey, you're 34, you're thinking about egg freezing, you're not so sure, why don't you see there might be an issue? Wash out the pill, see what happens. And if you don't get a period, let's talk about what that's about. Right. Because women who don't have periods are more likely to have infertility in the future. So I talk about that a lot, but I don't love the like, and I do it all the time, but it's hard because I spend a lot of the time saying this means nothing. Don't, mm-hmm. I don't, your numbers are low, but don't stress about this. Don't get pregnant, yeah. right? Don't do that. My last question is like, 
during this process, it's not sexy. No. But for couples that are still, you know, trying to do it, like to get pregnant the the natural way of, mm-hmm. you know, having sex. Mm-hmm. Also how, sometimes not sexy. Yeah. Huh? Right. Yeah. Like how do you not hate, like how do you keep wanting to have sex with your partner, especially if it's time when you're not ovulating, mm-hmm. especially if you have a goal and yeah. sorry, it's, what? why? What's the point? Why should we have sex now? I know. You know? I know. It's really intimacy and fertility becomes really fraught. And it's, and some patients I'll be close enough to that they'll talk to me about it. There's a lot of shame around that too, right? Sex in general and sex lives are full of like shame. And people will sometimes will ask me, is this like a normal amount of times that we're doing it? And I was like, I don't know. Right. Like it's normal for you. I don't, I don't like keep track of everybody, right. but I think I think it comes really, really hard and you have to have a really solid foundation to get through fertility. I want someone to tell me, and I believe it, that fertility issues and money are like the two things people fight about the most in a mm. relationship. And I believe it because you have, you feel like you failed your partner. You feel like you failed yourself. You don't know how to like talk about it. it there's a, it's just, it's really deep rooted, but I think sex and intimacy, one can be separate things, but both become really hard when you're doing fertility treatments. And this idea that you have to like save the sperm or save sex when you're ovulating becomes a thing. The truth is you don't. It's been studied a thousand times over, like how often you should have sex. Once every other day is sufficient. Doesn't mean you can't do it five times a day. Doesn't mean you have to do it that often, but it's a lot. And it's also a lot for men, honestly. This like performance anxiety is a real thing. And men get super stressed about it. Oh and I God. always offer yeah. men, because egg retrieval day, we need sperm. So I always mm-hmm. say, hey, if you're stressed at all, let's freeze a sample, right? Because I don't want you to feel like you have like failed anything here. And in that moment, I really do need sperm, right? I have these eggs, they have to be fertilized. And so I will always kind of give them an out and say, you think you're going to be okay? Because it's a it's a lot of pressure. And so it's, it's for men and women both. And I think more than that, men don't necessarily want to confine to me as much. I feel like the relationship becomes more with like the female partner if it's a heterosexual couple. But sometimes I'll have a man see me actually after Fisher, like, this is stressful or like, she's really mad. I'm like, what do I do? And like, we talk about it and we manage it. But it's not easy. I have no good answers. I have lots of good therapists that I refer people to. Totally. Because it's- it's real. Yeah. What I will say is like, if you can get through IVF as a couple and there's a lot of things that happen, you know, when you're married that you go through, like, you know, IVF can be one of them. The loss of a parent can be one of them. Like these things, like you really know at the, at like the other side of them, if you're going to be a strong couple. And I will say IVF has been so good for my relationship. Really? How so? That's so interesting. Only because we got through it, you know, like we- were, you know, it was really hard the past year plus. And like, there were not so happy times, obviously, you know, but I think the fact that we were able to get through it and like stay positive and still like each other is a huge deal. Yeah. Because like, there were times for us where like, I was like, let's go, it's time to have sex. And if you're not ready Physically, figure it out. Get yeah. away. Mm-hmm. And like, that's not <laughs> conducive to a happy relationship. And so there have been those times that are like not okay times. And there have been, you know, we've just gone through the ups and downs. And, yeah. you know, it's like, it really prepares you, it puts you through like, the ringer to see like, okay, do you really want kids? Cause now, you know, you really want kids cause you put yourself through this shit. Yeah. And like, you're also, you know, it's like, even like Steven with 
um, being so good about like when time I take my shot and like, you know, that is like, makes me be like, okay, he's going to like, going to be a good dad. He's, you know, making sure blah, blah, blah. So it's like that kind of stuff. I do feel like it, it brings you closer at the end of the day. And it's definitely like a positive, you know, test for your relationship. Yeah. And, but the opposite is true too. Like some couples, it can really drive them a wedge in between them because they feel like they're both not contributing or or there's still that shame and the guilt. And what I think I would say to those people is Mm -hmm. that's also so common. And the best thing you can do is be upfront about it and talk about it and then seek help, whether that's from your partner or from your physician or from a therapist, because that can feel really lonely, really fast. And women- who come in and they always feel like they see other people with their partners, right? And they're always by themselves. They get really angry really quickly. And especially if it doesn't work out, right? It's, there's all, there's many, many layers of fertility issues. Totally. And I think no one cuts himself any slack. And I always just say, give yourself grace. Right. Right. It's just, and it's so true. And I imagine like if, I think also for us, what was helpful was that we both kind of came in with an issue. Yeah. If it were, let's say, just my issues that were the reason that we did IVF, like solely on me, I think maybe that would have changed the dynamic a little bit. Maybe I would have been like, oh, well, like, you know, if he was like mean to me one day or something, I'd be like, you're just mad that like I'm infertile and, you know, like these kinds of things. And so I think that's really hard. I also think, and I'm sure we're like so insanely over time, it's crazy, (laughs) but I also think that there was, oh, that there, I didn't talk about this, but like, people don't know how to talk to people who are going through IVF, which is like a huge thing. Really? Like friends and like, they don't always say the right things. Like at least, you know. Like what? That's interesting to me. What do you mean? For example, I have heard a lot of the time, like, you know, before we got pregnant, of course, like it's not your fault. Mm. Like That would really piss me off. Oh my God. That would not be a good thing to say to me. Also relax is not a good thing to say to me. Relax is for, oh my God, just like have a glass of wine, have an orgasm. You're going to get pregnant that night. No, that makes me so crazy. Yeah, Yeah. no, so crazy. But the it's not your fault was like the most triggering for me because I was like, I didn't say that. Would you call them out on it? Would you be like, of course, I love it. (laughs) I would just be like, just so you know, like I didn't, I didn't think it was. I didn't think it was. But like now, now should I, you know, is that what you're trying to say? And again, Uh, these people like innocent, just trying to help, like don't know what to say. Don't know what I, what should they say? Like, so if they like, what's a good thing? The best thing to say is just like, I love you and I'm here for you. Like, like it's going to work out. You know, not just like, like how it, how's it going? Like, just like, I think it's okay to say, how's it going? Like, okay. I like, you know, I have friends that are going through it now and yeah. like aren't at the other side yet. And I'll be like, you know, how's it going? If you want to talk, let me know. Like, just not like pushing them to talk about it, but like, I'm here if you want to talk about it. Yeah. And I think that's like the best, the best way. Like, I don't think you check up every day because it's, it's a lot, you know? Yeah. I think the best people for me to talk to while I was going through it were people that were going through it also. But do you feel like if this, I think fertility is kind of like the bridal market. I know it's a weird thing to say, but like when you're in it, you're obsessed with it. Oh, and then yeah. a year later, oh, like you no, have, you have no. like no recollection it's so of funny, it. Because I'm not like that at all, especially even with the bridal stuff. Like, yeah. I like, you know, this is so stupid and niche, but like I ended up like starting a bride, an Instagram for brides. You did like, not. I swear. It's like a private Instagram for like <laughs> brides to help each other out. And I continued it after my wedding and like, I'll still like pop in every now and then, but it's like same with IVF. Like, First of all, I'm, I'm definitely not through it because I hope to have another child one day, knock on wood, yep. but but I still feel very connected to it. Like I, oh, yeah. I don't, 
I think maybe it's just like my personality, but I'm never like a discard to something that I had gone through. Like, Interesting. you know, it's even how I feel about being single. Like I, I still feel a connection to being single. Like that's why I have this podcast. Like I still feel like how it was like being, like I still remember those feelings. It's not like, oh, I'm married and like, I'm so much better now. So like, let me just tell everyone what, you know, it's yeah. like, no, I still understand what I, you know, those feelings and those are so real. And I still feel like all my, any of my friends that are going through IVF, I'm like, I'm right there with you. Like, you know, like, I don't know, but I do know what you're saying that like people, and and this is what annoys me so much. It's like, people will just like post the babies born and be like, baby was born, no problems. Like everything was a breeze. And it's like, no, you went through IVF. And yeah. like, you don't have to say that, but like, that's I the know. truth. But that's why it's, and we talked about this initially, because we we first met through an event that nothing to do with like urine fertility. And I didn't even know that you had anything going on until I think you asked me a question. I was like, oh, I think something's happening, right? But yeah. you never pry. And when we first met, I said, hey, don't feel like you have to like post anything about this. That's not what this is about, right? This is about like you guys going through this, because this is a really hard thing to share and talk about. And I think the more people that do this and have any kind of like exposure influence on anybody the more comfortable people are going to be. Like people identify with you, right? Or with different versions of you. Mm -hmm. And it's really impactful to know, hey, a normal person, right? A person that seems like me has this issue because I think people think it's just like a Kardashian or Jet. And it's it's not. It's it's so not. But yeah, I think it's also fraught. But the more we talk about it, the better it'll be for everybody. Yeah, agreed. And on that note, can you leave us with a quote or piece of advice? It doesn't necessarily have to have to do with fertility, but just something that people can take away. I would, as kind of simple as it sounds, I would say don't be afraid of information, right? It doesn't mean you have to do anything or make any decisions. It's just understanding what's real for you and then like what your options are. And I think that's applicable to so many parts of life, but absolutely fertility. And same thing with like, like who you see in like your clinic and your doctor, right? Don't look around, figure out what feels right. It's not a one size fits all. Not everyone is going to love spring or me, right? right? But making that decision and like feeling good about it is the key to all of this because a lot, a lot of the times it's not simple and yeah. you just want to make sure that you still get to the finish line. Um, having people not walk away is really important to me. Yeah. I literally like my version of what you just said is like, don't settle. Don't settle. Like, don't settle. Like that's it's better. Like, that's a better thing. But yeah. it's like you get like, it's like when you have the suitcase that doesn't have the four wheels, like you think that like you have a good suitcase, but then like you get the suitcase with the four wheels and like, you don't have to drag yeah. the suitcase anymore. Like you wouldn't know <laughs> if you just stayed with yeah. your OG suitcase. Like you have to ask, you have to try other, you know, people, other things, second opinions, whatever. Yeah. 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 All the things. Agree. Oh, this was a dream. Where can everybody find you and schedule like a consultation or just, you know, see someone at spring and and I think it's just springfertility.com, but Mm -hmm. I'm terrible at this, Lindsay, but I think it's (laughs) springfertility.com. I'm Kate the Fisher, but I have amazing colleagues that work with me at spring. Everyone is truly incredible and the team is incredible. It's not just about the docs. It's about everybody that works with us. We all have like the same mission. So like, hello at springfertility, I think it's an email. Also offices on the bay, but that's where you can find us. Amazing. Thank you so much.
Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.